This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi everyone, welcome to the Delicious Yellow podcast. So today we've got a really special episode. Um, I'm currently sitting in Fern Cotton's living room, which is as beautiful as you would imagine it to be. <laughs> First of all, welcome Fern. Thank you. My Thank pleasure. you for having me. So lots of people are going to look at you and, you know, see you as kind of the epitome of success. You know, you've had an amazing career, done all kinds of brilliant things. You know, everyone's going to see you on their TV at home. You've got a gorgeous family but at the same time, you've been very, very open and very honest about your kind of personal challenges and struggles and insecurities, battles with things like depression and through your books, especially being kind of incredibly vulnerable. And for me, there's something really powerful in that because I think we often can all walk into a room and feel that kind of social anxiety or feel like we're not good enough. And especially with women, you know, things like imposter syndrome are so rife and so common. And knowing that people who have achieved as much as you have and who've managed to kind of find ways to push past that, to me, really kind of resonates. And and I really want to kind of get into that today. And hopefully everyone listening and definitely myself included can kind of feel inspired by the fact that it's so, so incredibly normal to feel that way and that we shouldn't necessarily be embarrassed about it. And actually being open and honest about it can make a huge difference. Absolutely. I mean, that's what drives most of what I do is the fact that I want that connection with other humans and I want to feel part of something, whether that be a community or a conversation that's going on. So that's very much the driving force in, you know, I'd say 80% of the work that I do. Yeah. And so it feels like you've been on quite a kind of journey with it, I think, especially reading your book, Happy, which is that that was your first of kind of quite of that series. There was something in there that I really liked, which is that you I was rereading it last week while we were away and you start the book by saying how kind of so many of us will just assume that happiness um, exists in other people or that we can't really ever have it or you know you look at someone else and say they're happy actually I don't know if I'm happy but actually like it can exist for all of us and you've been on quite a kind of search for happiness and I'd love to know what kind of started that and what Mm. the initial inspiration was. Yeah looking at that assumption part of things first you know of course we all make assumptions about each other and that's heightened even more so today with social media and the internet we think we know how everyone's feeling by how their life looks and of course there's absolutely no correlation and there's not even that much correlation between being whatever someone else would deem as successful and 
feeling happy. There's no correlation at all. You know, how many incredibly talented people have we seen take their own life over the last sort of century? You know, we've lost some absolute greats who have had supreme talent and an amazing career ahead of them and and but they've inside felt such despair so we know intellectually that there's no correlation but we still assume that it means something and of course it is a wonderful thing to have done well or to have created something that's an absolute joy but there is still a life underneath all of that and I felt I couldn't show the real me or talk about things that I massively wanted to because you know, the BBC wouldn't want that or the TV show I was doing, it wouldn't be appropriate to be me. So I always zhuzhed it up a bit and was kind of a heightened version of myself, whatever was going on in my real life. And I just kind of got to an age, I guess, and also through life experience, a place where I couldn't be bothered anymore. And I just thought, it's worth a punt. It's worth just being me and seeing what happens. And I had had a very bad year where there was a lot of darkness and I didn't feel there was a way out of it at points. And I felt just that everything was so confusing that I needed to get it out of me and try and understand myself. You know, I didn't write that book so much for everyone else to go oh, I relate to this story. I think that happened by mistake afterwards, a sort of of secondary bonus. I think at first it was to try and understand myself. And I was terrified about it coming out. I, I didn't know if people would, you know, reject me because I was telling the truth and being real. I didn't know if people would see me in a different light or think that everything else I'd done was a load of rubbish. So it was really scary As soon as it was released, I quite quickly realised it was a very connective thing to do. I had all these wonderful emails, letters, people coming up to me in the street, crying and hugging me and saying they'd had a tough time too. And like, wow, I, I didn't expect any of that to happen. And it kind of then gave me the courage to keep doing that the more I can give in that way the more hopefully I can I can help other people and did you find even from a completely personal perspective kind of opening the door and saying okay this is who I am this is actually how I feel was quite almost liberating because I remember with um when I launched Delicious Yellow I'd been sick for about 18 months and I hadn't really told anyone because I felt very kind of actually quite ashamed and quite uncomfortable and with that sense of kind of being different Mm -hmm. and and feeling alienated to people around me and so instead of being kind of honest with girlfriends and and people I just sort of shut myself away and when I launched Delicious Yellow I wrote why I was doing it and my kind of journey with that and I was really blown away by people who said well do you know what I've actually been dealing with this I've actually been dealing with that and suddenly realized that like these things that you feel are alienating you are actually so incredibly normal in some capacity we're going to all feel different things at different point of our life but so many people have been touched by something similar at some point and it's it's actually very human of course I mean I think it's weird to have not felt like that at some point I think you're the anomaly if you haven't felt alienated or ashamed or whatever and our culture kind of breeds that unfortunately that sort of um, feeling or uh, insecurity in us all and we have to 
back against that because it's very destructive for many people, including myself. And I'm sure that's much how you felt. And I, in a very similar way, did feel like a complete freak, if I'm honest with you. I just thought, God, look at everyone else getting on with life, dealing fine with everything and, you know, making good decisions and not cocking up. And, you know, I felt like I was a massive failure and massively flawed. And I didn't, I wasn't comfortable at that point showing that I was fallible. I didn't want people to see my wounds or my scars or hear stories. And like you say, that is a catharsis, writing down things like that. And therefore, you know, looking at accepting yourself for all that you are. And that is something I'm still very much um it's that's an ongoing learning curve I'm not like yeah I fully accept everything about myself now and I feel really great about all the things that I may have once regretted like absolutely not I'm still that is work in progress and I think there's no rush with that one that's massive part of life is accepting who you are the good bits and the bad bits which of course we all have in us and the light and the dark and and all of that and embracing it or not even embracing it but just feeling okay about it I think accepting it because if we try and deny those parts of ourselves which you know we all have it's not like you know there's very few people maybe like the Dalai Lama who are just pure (laughs) radiating light but we all have equal measures of good and bad and it's just how we process them and vent them or whatever and you know, I think we, I used to massively shy away from that, you know, in my sort of teens and 20s. I didn't want to know anything about anything bad going on in the world, about anything bad going on inside me, I, any bad thoughts. I just wanted to push it all to one side. And I think I've had to become much more accepting after having a dark period like that in my life, that there is that darkness there. I'm not getting away from it. And as soon as I just go, OK, it doesn't make me a freak. I don't have to feel ashamed of all the other stuff that you pile on top of it. I can just work through it and perhaps look at life in new ways. And and luckily, my God, I'm lucky. I, I, I had this sort of existing platform where I could write a book about it. And I find that just, a, a that was a sort of seminal, pivotal moment for me, realising that I could, you know, exercise it in that way almost. And it was, it, it was terrifying, but eventually became very liberating. And were there any tools that kind of helped you to do that because I feel like the one thing I've kind of feel and every time I speak to someone about it, it kind of instills it more and more is that and I think your book did the same is that happiness is actually it's all it's a constant work in progress like every second for every day of all of our lives like obviously maybe the Dalai Lama is different, yeah. but for most of us you've actually got to have quite a lot of self-discipline almost in kind of every day doing those things that allow you to create that sense of kind of balance mm. that allows that sense of happiness mm. and what, has there been anything yeah for I you mean no helped? one wants to hear that it any kind of happiness contentment or just feeling okay requires discipline that's so boring I know oh yawn it's so boring but it's true yeah you know everyone wants like oh if I do this you know workout or this diet or I go on this retreat, then I'm going to reach this destination called happiness and I'll be like it forever. No, that's impossible and it's ridiculous. And happiness is this kind of bizarre, you know, ephemeral thing that, you know, comes and it goes and we feel it and then it goes again. And, you know, that's another thing we have to all accept, that it's not omnipresent. It's, you know, we can have an omnipresent feeling of acceptance and hopefully a bit of calm where we know that even if we're not feeling brilliant, it will come back Mm. and that we're going to have 
times where we don't feel so great to learn and to move on and to discover new things. I think the first thing we all have to do is remember that, that we're not, it's not a destination we're going to get to. Like, if I get that job or if I get that girlfriend or if I get that best friend or if whatever it is I buy that house one day that we're going to then feel happiness forever you know it's a crazy bizarre cultural uh, myth that we subliminally believe I guess and um and we all fall into that trap at some extent you know like oh god even if I get that pair of shoes I'm going to feel like a different person for a few days yeah and then you're going to feel like you again get over it you know we all are lured into that to some extent and I think we can still get joy and pleasure from working out, eating well, buying the odd treat for ourselves, of course. But as long as we remember, it's not the answer to anything. You know, the answer is, like you said, finding things that work for you that are a daily discipline. So me and my husband are both massively on board with that. He is a recovering alcoholic, so he needs to have a real structure and discipline around his sort of contentment and happiness. And And I've instilled a similar sort of routine into my life and it's really simple things um and I've only really got to grips with them over the last couple of years where I truly know now what works for me and what doesn't one of them is not to be too insanely busy because I used yeah. to work every hour of every day and I'm not saying that like oh poor me I loved it I bloody loved all of it I wanted to work until I was just exhausted and, you know, kind of flopped into bed and went into this deep coma-like state. You know, I I worked every day from 15, pretty much, until I had kids. I was obsessed. I was addicted and I wanted to be busy and I thought if I wasn't, I was failing or I was going backwards. And it's taken a long hard look at myself and and a big amount of time to remember that's not true and even now some days I'll go oh god I'm not as busy as I'd like to be today and it's like nope sit with that feeling what is it that you are worried about underneath that you think you're not good enough so it's just knowing my patterns and it is to overwork myself yeah having family was an absolute you know beautiful godsend because I naturally got a different perspective on my routine and my life and I want to be at home with the kids more so that's a massive one for me also you know the obvious simple things eating well doing exercise and again not like I used to in my 20s I was like in the gym on the running machine sprinting sweating having a heart attack you know (laughs) It's so not that anymore. I can't, I haven't got time for that. I can't be bothered. It's much gentler. It's kinder. It's more intuitive. What do I feel like doing? I don't beat myself up if I, you know, I'm never going to have a six pack. I've had two children and my stomach muscles are around my shoulder blade somewhere. I I just, (laughs) I've given up. I don't care about any of that. It's about feeling good. And it's also being with nice people and having a smaller group of friends and it all just being, it's just simplicity. If things get overcomplicated or confusing, I feel thrown and spun out. So it's got to be much simpler, much easier and gentler. And then that's a great starting point for me. I love that. I've honestly found the exact same thing. Mm. But do you find you have those moments? I feel like FOMO is kind of, you know, it's a big part of modern life. And obviously social media, I think, is Mm. is a massive proponent of that. And it's quite hard to kind of get away from the reality of that. 
do you find that you know what makes you happy is actually just being at home with your kids yeah. cooking hanging out but that potentially sometimes you I don't know see on social media or online or in a magazine or something other people kind of being very glam or being out or doing this or doing that and do you find you have those moments where you feel that kind of sense of missing out or that you're not god no I do not have FOMO I used to have it big time. Yeah. I used to think everyone was doing better than me. Yeah. Everyone looked like they were succeeding more. Because my thing's always about succeeding or what I used to think success was. It was never so much like, oh, look at them having a great time at a party because I've never truly felt comfortable in that space. Um, my thing is, oh my God, they're doing a job that I'd like to be doing. Why didn't I get it? My thing's always been FOMO of work, success, the drive. I don't even have that anymore. I usually feel sorry for them and think, oh God, poor bugger having to be out on a Tuesday <laughs> night in a nice dress. I think, poor you, look at me, I'm in my pyjamas watching the Clinton affair on the TV and me and my husband have got a nice dinner. I'm going to go to bed at half nine. I feel sorry for them. Like I've gone so the opposite way. Yeah. Jomo, the joy of missing out, is very much how I think. And even with work, like now I know my decision making is so much easier because I used to think right how do I become the biggest best respected presenter whatever silly goals that I wanted that don't mean anything and all my decision making was quite confused like, oh I could do that and then I'd end up doing that and now it's like right how can we help more people and also realistically obviously how can I help my family because we're running a home and I have two slash four children with my stepchildren massively included that I want to look after and I want them to have a nice life. So there's that side of it. But then the other side is if that bit's covered, how can we help more people? And that is my absolute sort of decision-making thought now. And so when you've kind of made this transition, have there, again, been anything that you read or kind of just generally that inspired you to, I guess, have complete confidence in being yourself? Because I think that's something that for everybody, we would all like to be at that point where we're completely comfortable saying, I don't want to do this. I don't want to do that. Look, it's brilliant that you do, but I'm not going to be a part of it. But I feel like we all live in a bit of fear of that. And Mm. was that kind of a moment or just anything in particular that sparked you to say, do you know what? I actually feel so comfortable in my own skin that it doesn't matter what anyone else is doing. I don't think I'm even fully comfortable in my skin. But I think a lot of my decision-making leads me to routes that will help me get to that place. So, So that's a nice point as well that I can I know what's going to help other people and me um, and it is usually doing work that connects me to other humans so I can hear other stories I'm not 100% comfy in my skin yet but I I would love to be there one day but I think yeah I don't know if there was one particular moment I think I've got some amazing people in my life that I've always used as a soundboard particularly when I was going through well a couple of rough patches I've had I've got a great friend called Zephyr who's an amazing yoga teacher and he's had an extraordinary life and she has always been massively encouraging about being authentic and truthful and and owning it, like not being scared of what other people think or being ashamed. And, you know, I've watched her tell her story many a time to many people and she's had a difficult time and she talks about it beautifully and eloquently and you instantly see how that connects you and helps other people I've certainly read like every self-help book available (laughs) and I'm sure by osmosis they've gone in and they've had some impact but I think it's really down to the people around me and my husband's also 
amazing in the fact that he is just him and he doesn't care what people think and he's had a kind of bizarre life as well and and he's very open and happy to talk about it and be very honest about things so I've always seen the value in that in others I just didn't know if I could emulate it or do it until I tried and it was really taking that first massive jump leaving Radio 1 which I loved and I was there for 10 years but making a clean break and deciding that would be the moment where everything changed and I kind of just had to go with it and you don't know what's going to happen but luckily it turned out all right it's, it's very I think a lot of people take a lot of inspiration from that so you've, you've been working obviously for a while in this space or, or a few different spaces but within the public mm. public eye and obviously when you started social media didn't exist and you didn't have Thank kind of like god well that's why I wanted to ask you didn't have things like daily mail online yeah. and this kind of constant access to people do have you found from your career perspective something's kind of shifted from that point where you could kind of start and do what you're going to do and you don't even you don't really know what people think to be honest Mm. you know maybe there's like a review in in one paper about a show but now you do something and you go on twitter and like all these kind of complete strangers have an opinion on it how have you kind of dealt with that it's hard you know thank god that when i was 15 none of that existed because i think my career would have lasted about two months i I couldn't (laughs) have done it like how i just don't know if i could have if i would have had the robustness to deal with that i was a kid i was a teenager you know it was weird enough as it was coming from like a completely normal suburban working class background to all of a sudden finding myself in these bizarre situations with pop stars you know, like Cleopatra and whoever else was around in that era. I found it all bizarre and sort of hilarious, but but kind of magical because it was so yeah. different to my normal existence. So it was weird enough making that transition to heap on top of that opinions of other people. I couldn't have done it. There's no way. And, you know, I think we're all getting to grips with this. And this is not exclusive to people in the public eye. We're all getting to grips with people knowing our business or how much we share or other people's opinions, all the assumptions we make about others. It's bonkers. And it's a bit of a free-for-all right now. We're not, there are no set rules or guidelines. We kind of know common sense around it but we forget and I'll find myself sat on the loo scrolling through Instagram whilst (laughs) Jessie's struggling with the kids breakfast and I'm like wait a minute why why am I aimlessly scrolling through this stuff I don't need in my head and I always fall into those sort of traps and I have found it difficult over the years I guess it started when I was doing more high profile work in my 20s where social media was still in its infancy but you would have you know, the first turning point, TV critics all of a sudden noticing me and wanting to say something. And sometimes to, you know, horrendous extents, like saying unbelievably awful things, not just about me or my work, but me as a person and me personally. I've been on the receiving end of critiques before and I'm not a massive fan of that whole area of my business because I think unless you do that job what say do you have in being you know vehemently negative discriminative whatever it is about people and I used to 
think, oh God, they're right. I used to take it all on board and think that I was a horrendous person, that I'd caused a reaction like that. So I found that really hard. So when social media came about, I was almost used to it. I almost kind of knew people were judging me. I've always been aware that I've had eyes on me since I was a kid, you know, 15, starting my first TV show. I've always known people have been watching what I was doing, judging, whatever, but I just didn't take it on board. But then it's sort of inescapable once it's online and there's Twitter and Instagram after that, whatever. And I have found it hard over the years. I think now, at 37, I'm at a place where I'm able to rationalise what's going on and think about where that other person's at. And it's not really about me because they don't know me. It's not really about my actions. Unless I've really cocked up, then fine. And there's a big difference here between constructive criticism if someone said to me look I listened to your podcast and I don't think you dealt with that situation well I would say oh my god let me go and have a listen back and readdress that if you have felt that it's impacted you negatively absolutely I would take that on board but if it's just I hate what you look like you've got a big nose whatever I mean I don't need to hear it yeah. and I and also it's that's not about me this is about the person that's written it and what they are experiencing or how they view life. But it's taken me 22 years to get to that place where I can now sit back and look at the bigger picture. Yeah, that's what I always try and do, trying to have two buckets of criticism, where you have constructive criticism, where you're like, okay, I actually can learn from this. Thank you so much, actually, for taking the time to let me know you didn't really like that or you felt uncomfortable with that. And I there's always a lot to learn even if you don't want to exactly it's hard it's not easy totally you you want to hear the positives because it's lovely but it's actually is a lot to learn but then you have criticism for the sake of criticism where people are just like i hate your voice i hate this i hate that you're crap and actually there's nothing to learn from that like it's you know put it in a box you should be you and i should be me we shouldn't be what other people want us to be because what's the point you never please everyone but well, that's the thing exactly you can't and you have to be you because that's why you're doing what you've done and you're at where you're at because you're you and you've had that drive and you've been able to put your goals into motion and create stuff and that's because you're you if you were thinking oh I should be more like this you'd be, be all over the shop do you know what I mean and the same with me I've certainly made tons of mistakes and and you know done jobs I wish I hadn't done or whatever but I can look back and go yeah but I was just being me and at that point I wasn't the me I am today I was a different person and I've got to you know the thing I've had to do over the years is make peace with all the different me's that have existed before so 15 year old me who kind of had a greasy fringe and buffalo (laughs) boots on and was so naive and young to it all I can't slag her off I can't be embarrassed by her I can't think god I wish I hadn't worn that and I wish I hadn't said that because I was 15 and I've got to go actually well done 15 year old you you worked really hard and you believed in yourself enough to keep doing it it's pointless to sit and berate yourself in the past you've got to go okay well whatever you did I've ended up here where I am now and I'm really enjoying the now so well done and it takes a lot of practice doing that one that's my worst question when you do an interview and someone says what would you do differently and you're like well I wouldn't I didn't know to do it differently at the time there's obviously going to be things you think oh god you know looking back I probably wouldn't have done this or that and there's no exception to that there's no perfect human who's cruised through life making you know 
brilliant A-star decisions. And also how boring would that be? Um, Some of the greatest moments for me have come out of bad bits, you know, like happy. That didn't come because I'd had this brilliant roller coaster high and then celebrated myself and thought, how brilliant, let's write a book about it. No, it's the absolute opposite. But a good thing came from it. And we have to stop beating ourselves up and others about making mistakes because you have to. Otherwise, how are you going to learn anything? You don't learn stuff from... Like, you know, if I look back at my career, some of the highs... 24, I got to interview Prince William, Prince Harry, and I couldn't believe it. It was like the most out-of-body weird experience. Absolute high. Loved every minute. What a fantastic experience. Did I learn much from it? Probably not. You know, I... I worked hard to get the interview to how I wanted it to be and I learned a bit in that way. But I didn't, life experience-wise, learn anything. The bits where I've made bad decisions, the bits where things haven't gone to plan, I have learned so much that it's changed how I think as a person. So we've got to stop... A, picking on others for making mistakes, because we're so quick to on social media now. Oh, you shouldn't have done that. Yeah. Oh, you shouldn't be wearing that to that. You know, everyone is so quick on that one. They love it because they, for a minute, elevate themselves out of having ever made a mistake. Oh, I don't. But you, I saw you made a mistake there. Or, <laughs> oh, you spelled that wrong. You know, the Instagram police are out. Yeah. Let people make mistakes and then let yourself make mistakes. Because if, if you don't let yourself make mistakes, you're going to have a really tough time when you eventually do stumble because you're going to feel ruined and like you can't recover from it. You know, you have to make mistakes. It's part of life. Absolutely. And would you get nervous? So for example, like when you went to interview Harry and William, were you, did you find yourself, were you kind of, did you get the kind of imposter syndrome, which we kind of all get? Yes. I mean, I felt it very early on because I didn't, come from a world that was connected in any way to what I ended up doing so you know I'd be sat in front of a camera thinking oh my god everyone else knows what they're doing I am blagging this one so badly and in a lot of the work I do I still feel like that in some of it I really don't and I feel very lucky like when I'm and I'm lucky that I've got more autonomy these days so if I'm writing a book if I'm doing a podcast I can only speak the truth and talk about things that I believe in so I can't go too wrong because I'm working for myself, essentially. So I don't have it as much in those situations. But if I'm doing a TV show for someone else, if I'm doing a radio show for someone else, whatever, absolutely. I think everyone else around me knows what they're doing. Every other DJ presenter is so much more qualified, is so much slicker, calmer, less nervous. I feel it all the time. And you just have to get some little positive mantras going, get yourself out of it, do some very basic breathing on that one. I don't think it be it can be too complicated and just give it your best shot. That's all you can do. But I think we're all probably feeling like that. A hundred percent. I think, I mean, I'm not sure what the stats are anymore, but I think that especially with women, yeah. but I think men maybe even just as much, but they don't necessarily feel as comfortable or ready to admit it sometimes. Mm. But I think we all have that sense of imposter syndrome of standing there and being like, why is it me that's yeah. here? I don't deserve this. I haven't worked for this or that. You know, everyone's mm. going to think I'm a fraud. People are going to yeah. be kind of pointing their fingers. I get it all the time. And I end up trying to work so much harder because I think to show them that I should be here or I am valuable in a way I need to give so much more of myself and I don't really you know I can just be me but I always think I have to do so much more to validate why I'm there and that's something I I massively need to work out still but it's back to that thing I think it's the same for everyone it's like a constant work in progress like yeah. I think it gets a little bit better potentially as you find as you said those tools whether that's a mantra or kind of just 
very small breathing techniques or something but ultimately I think everyone feels that way and we all again look at each other and think that the other person has it completely figured out when they don't have it figured totally. out at all so like you know I know people look at me and go I've achieved this or that or whatever tags I get given but I feel like especially since this big change in where I'm headed with writing the books and doing the podcasts and other work I'm doing in that area I am at the first rung of the ladder I have so many ideas and things I want to do and I'm in a bit of a rush and I shouldn't be yeah but I constantly think oh my god am I executing that well enough like am I actually going to do all these things I've set out to do and I often feel like I'm failing or I'm not doing enough or people aren't responding in the way I want to things. I, I constantly only look at the negatives and I think we're all, you know, really susceptible to that and should try and all focus more on what we have done or created or achieved in, in any way and celebrate that. So obviously you've addressed a little bit your kind of work-life balance as well. So you're obviously spending more time at home yeah. now that you're a mum. And have you, how do you manage that work-life balance? Because you obviously still have a huge number of work yeah. commitments and projects, even if they're a little bit different to what they used to be. Yeah, it's tricky. It's easier today because I'm not at radio every day or yeah. I'm not committed to doing anything massively regular which massively suits me at this point in my life and I think because my goals have changed I've been able to balance things a bit better to my liking because my liking will be different to my best friend's liking yeah. or my next door neighbor's liking you know um, whether you're a stay-at-home mum or a full-time mum there is obviously no right or wrong but you can look at your own personal barometer and think what feels right to me and mine is mixing up a bit of both. So, for instance, today we're doing this podcast yeah. and then I've got a bunch of emails to do because we're planning our next Happy Place Festival, which yeah. is really overwhelming but exciting. <laughs> so I've got a load of logistics to sort out with that. And then I'll have the afternoon with my kids and I'll pick Rex up from school and, you know, have bath and bedtime and all that jazz. So... My days are a lot more like that now. Or I might be, you know, tomorrow I'm working all day because we're doing a photo shoot for something. And then next week it's half term. I'm not working at all. So I, I'm very fortunate that I've, 22 years down the line, been able to have a bit more control over it. It wasn't like that. When Rex was born, I was at Radio 1. I felt heartbroken leaving him every morning to go to work. But I didn't really have any other jobs at the time. I was kind of, all my eggs were in one basket. And I did used to feel highly stressed about um, not being with him because that didn't suit me. For other people, it's absolutely fine. There, as I said, there's no right or wrong. But I feel like my balance at the moment is good. It might not be in June, July, August. It might be all over the shop again. Yeah. But I just always try and balance it out and and do what feels right. And also know that wherever you are, you love your kids, they love you. When you're with them, you can do some beautiful things and have quality time. And also, hopefully, I'm showing especially, well, not especially, but I guess all of the kids, but I love it that Honey and Lola, the girls, see me go out and do what I want to do. Yeah. And Jesse's probably at home a little bit more than me at the moment because he's not touring. So they have a, a nice kind of back to front of traditionally what was seen in a home of the woman being more at home so I think it's positive for everyone on that note but it is a juggle and there are times where it feels overwhelming and tricky but the majority of the time I feel more at peace than I used to about it. You share a lot on your social media about running and kind of general exercise yoga and things how much it helps you what's your kind of go-to is it running? Um 
Probably because I killed two birds with one stone by getting out in the fresh air. I love being in the park and seeing trees and simple pleasures like that. So I guess running, but... But yoga is also really important because I know I'm quite hyper naturally. So I need to bring down the energy and not rush around and breathe a bit better. And the kids watch us, well, because Jessie's really into yoga as well, watch us do it. And then they might join in or be climbing on my back. And and they both understand what yoga is, which I find lovely. Yeah. And I hope that one day they find that a comfort for the, in their own lives when they're teenagers, adults, whatever. So that is also a big one but yeah it's just any movement I don't care what it is I'm not fussy it's just as long as I'm moving and you find you need to do it kind of every day in some way I'd say sort of five to six days yes but as I said I'm not in the gym every day I might do 20 minutes of yoga I might like yesterday I had a 15 minute swim whilst the kids had their swimming lesson so it's just however I can fit it in as long as I've done a bit of moving I'm all right yeah I find the same way and then we have one question that we ask all our guests at the end which is one practice or mantra or something that you live by or do every day that just kind of makes you feel a bit happier a bit healthier um, mine is a very simple line that I have to force feed myself daily at some point if not sometimes throughout the whole day which is just I am enough because I constantly beat myself up for doing things wrong badly giving myself a hard time for not doing enough, whatever it might be. And just getting back to, no, no, I'm enough. It's it's fine. Even if things are going wrong, don't feel great, I am enough. You know, I may make mistakes. I might do things sloppily, but I am enough and that is fine. And I don't, I don't think I inherently believe it. So I have to keep telling myself that all day long, every day, um... And I think it will probably get easier with time, that one. I love that. Well, fun. Thank you so, so much. And thanks for being Thank so you. brilliantly honest with everyone today. Oh, absolute pleasure. And I'm so gutted Jesse's not here because he so wanted to meet you. And um, if we don't have a bag of your uh, muesli in the, <laughs> in the cupboard there, it's like SOS situation <laughs> and someone has to go out because he can't not have it. Okay, well, there'll so be a box of muesli that- coming his way. <laughs> oh, bless you. <laughs> brilliant thank you thank you so much and if you have any feedback on this episode we would love to hear it so please do review it please do rate it and share any of that feedback with us and otherwise i hope you can tune in for our next episode and definitely subscribe um there'll be a new episode coming out for you every tuesday 